I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And in this special bonus constitutional episode, we explore the legal and constitutional issues surrounding President Donald Trump's handling of the Russia probe. The question on the table today, does President Trump's handling of the Russia investigation amount to obstruction of justice? And could the president invoke executive privilege to prevent Director Comey from testifying before Congress? Joining us to pursue these incredibly important questions are two of America's leading experts in constitutional law. Uh, joining us from France, Alan Dershowitz is the Felix Frankfurter Professor of Law Emeritus at Harvard Law School. He's been called the nation's most peripatetic civil liberties lawyer and one of its most distinguished defenders of individual rights. Laura Donahue is Professor of Law and Director of the Center on National Security and the Law and Director of the Center on Privacy and Technology at the Georgetown University Law School. Alan, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's jump right in. Alan, you wrote a fascinating op-ed for the Washington Examiner arguing that the firing of James Comey does not meet the legal definition of obstruction of justice. Tell us what the legal definition is and why you believe that the Comey firing doesn't meet it. No, I think there are three issues. The first issue is what position should civil libertarians, liberals, people who care about the rule of law take on this issue? And I believe that even if it's a close question, they should not be in favor of expanding an already elastic obstruction of justice statute to cover somebody whose politics we uh, don't like. Second, is this precedent uh, establish that uh, uh, any individual could be indicted uh, for the conduct alleged against uh, President Trump? I think the answer to that is mostly no. Uh, that mostly the courts say that you can't be indicted for obstruction of justice for committing completely lawful conduct. There are one or two cases, one particularly in Chicago, that suggests that in a close case where you had a um, uh, a lawyer who was who was um, filing frivolous lawsuits in an attempt to prevent. Uh, uh, a prosecution could be, and then the third, the third issue is whether the Constitution would permit the indictment of a president for um, exercising his statutory and constitutional authority within the unitary executive to fire uh, the head of the FBI. And I think the answer to that is and should be clearly no. And my concern is making sure we don't adopt the precedent because we don't like Trump's policies, which could then be used uh, against any political target, like a loaded weapon lying around. Thank you so much, Alan, for setting out the issues so clearly and so well. Laura, in your fascinating op-ed in U.S. News, the question on everyone's mind, you say that there are three criteria uh, for obstruction of justice, uh, the proceeding must be underway, the defendant must be aware of the proceeding, and the defendant must have intentionally endeavored corruptly to influence, obstruct, or impede it. Tell us why you believe that the firing of Comey may have met those three criteria and why this may be obstruction of justice. Yeah, so I, I think it's clear, uh, as Alan said, that in the United States, it, it was entirely legal for the president to fire 
uh, James Comey. That's, I think, pretty clearly in his wheelhouse. If you look at the decision of 1789, when Madison was arguing that the vesting clause of Article 2 gave the president unlimited removal power all of, over all executive officials, we had a divided Senate in that case. It was 10 to 10, and the vice president uh, settled the decision in favor of the president, perhaps not surprisingly, with his tie-breaking vote. That was John Adams. Um, and for the past 220 years, pretty much as a de facto matter, we've had broad presidential removal powers. So in Myers versus the U.S. in 1926, this was a case um, where postmasters could be appointed and removed uh, with the advice and consent of the Senate. When Wilson removed Myers without the Senate approval, um, the court uh, initially said it was an unconstitutional infringement of the president's power to say that the president couldn't remove him. Uh, and then you have a subsequent case law that, that pretty much upholds this, unless that position is a position where the individual holds quasi-legislative, quasi-judicial, and quasi-executive powers. So uh, like in the Federal Reserve Board or SEC or Federal Trade uh, Commission, you might have a different situation where the, the Senate would have a role to play. Other than that, it's pretty much firmly in the president's wheelhouse. With that said, uh, you cannot take an action, even if that action is legal, to obstruct justice. So in U.S. law, the obstruction of justice is interference with the orderly administration of law and justice. And there are numerous places in U.S. code where this has been made a crime, which makes it illegal to interfere in court proceedings. So no one in the United States, for instance, may corruptly or by threats of force or by any threatening letter of communication influence, obstruct, or impede the administration of law. Um, now, in one case called U.S. versus Warshak in 2010, the Sixth Circuit said that you have these three criteria that you mentioned, which, which have to be met for that offense to occur. The proceeding must be underway, the defendant has to be aware of the proceeding, and the defendant must have, quote, intentionally endeavored corruptly to influence, obstruct, or impede it. Um, now, corrupt is a very broad definition under the law. It means anything done with an improper purpose. And I, I think it's pretty clear that at the time the president fired Director Comey, the first two criteria were clearly matched, right? There was clearly a proceeding um, underway, and clearly the defendant knew about that proceeding. So the real question is whether he intentionally endeavored to prevent that proceeding from moving forward. And here I would take a different view uh, than Alan on this, because I think it's a much more difficult question, and actually there's more evidence uh, than one might think about this. So on the one hand, in his letter where he fired Comey, he's citing to um, you, you know the attorney general and to the deputy uh, attorney general's letters and saying that um, Director Comey had not conducted the Clinton investigations appropriately. Um, on the other hand, you know there's this uh, elephant in the room. Is the way I, I refer to it in the piece that you mentioned that you have an FBI investigation. It's at a critical juncture. Director Comey is about uh, to report uh, to uh, Congress. Uh, you have. Uh, you have these statements that come out then in the New York Times that the president has told a number of people that he wants to try to get rid of Comey, that he's frustrated with the investigation. Um, you know, there's, there's a significant amount of other information there that suggests that actually what's going on is he's trying to make the investigation go away. And if that's the case, then we're much more firmly in the, in the land of obstructing justice. Thanks so much for that. Well, uh, Alan, yes, what, understanding that you don't think that policy differences should be criminalized, what would be your response if an argument like the one Laura made uh, were made in court? Well, for example, uh, I have probably a hundred times obstructed justice according to uh, Laura's definition. I go to prosecutors all the time, and I say to them exactly what the president said to uh, Comey, you know, lay off my guy. He's a good guy. I would appreciate it very much if you wouldn't prosecute him. I go much further. I threaten prosecutors. 
I say, if you dare to prosecute my client, I'm going to raise uh, allegations of misconduct on your behalf. I'm going to take this to the very ends of the earth. Uh, I will, you know, destroy your career. Um, I will uh, make your life uh, difficult professionally because what you're doing is outrageous. Um, as a criminal defense lawyer, I don't just ask the way the president asks. I tell, I demand, I insist. My job is to obstruct justice, if I possibly can, by every lawful means, because most of my clients are guilty. And by definition, almost every time I win a case on behalf of a guilty client, I obstruct justice. And the idea that we can have statutes like this on the book laying around that can be used against unpopular criminal defense lawyers or unpopular defendants uh, is, I think, very dangerous. I think the strongest argument is one not made by Laura. Let me make it as a devil's advocate argument. I think the strongest argument is that uh, although what Trump did was simply say, I would appreciate if you would let it go because he's a good guy, uh, when the president of the United States, who has the power to fire and hire you, uh, says he would appreciate something, it's like the godfather giving you a kiss on the cheek and telling you he'd appreciate something. But, of course, in the end, Comey rejected it. And he took it not as a command or as an instruction, but rather as a request. Now, a request that the president would take into account in making decisions about keeping him. But I would take the constitutional argument even further. Under the executive, under the unitary executive theory, I think the president of the United States would have the absolute constitutional authority to, help, to tell the head of the FBI, you are instructed not to investigate Flynn. You are instructed not to investigate Kushner. You are instructed not to investigate me. I'm your boss. I'm telling you what to do. Now, would that give rise to an impeachment or some other political consequence? Uh, perhaps. But I think legally under the unitary executive, the president tells the attorney general and tells the director of the FBI what to do. An example from history, Thomas Jefferson told his attorney general to prosecute Aaron Burr. He decided who to give immunity to and who not to give immunity to. He called the chief justice of the United States in, his cousin, John Marshall, and said, if you don't get a prosecution and a conviction of this man, uh, uh, Burr, I'm going to have you impeached. Uh, so historically, the president can tell the prosecutor what to do. Now, since Watergate, we've had a tradition of not allowing that to happen, of building a wall of separation between the prosecutor and the president. Presidents don't talk to prosecutors traditionally. Traditionally, prosecutors don't talk to presidents. But that's a matter of a rule within the Justice Department. Constitutionally, the rule is the Jefferson rule. The president can tell the attorney general who to prosecute and who not to prosecute. It's a terrible system, and we should go to the British system, the Israeli system, where you have an independent state attorney, a director of public prosecution that is not part of the executive branch, more part of the judicial branch. But as long as in the United States we have a unitary executive and we have the Justice Department doing both functions, serving as a minister of justice, advisor to the president on uh, legal affairs, and also chief prosecutor, constitutionally, the president has the authority to go well beyond what it is alleged that Trump did in this case. Fascinating. Thanks so much for that. Laura, your response to both of those uh, strong points. First, that even if 
Uh, Trump asked. Comey rejected it. Uh, and more broadly, Allen says that the president should have absolute authority legally to say don't investigate, even if that might uh, be grounds for impeachment. Yeah. So uh, Allen is, is not president, right? So when he raises an issue, whether somebody he's defending uh, should be prosecuted or not, it is not the same as the president uh, directing subordinate not to prosecute somebody in contravention of the rule of law. So when uh, he refers to my definition um, of obstruction of justice, it's actually not mine. It's it's the law. It's actually what U.S. you know 18 U.S.C. 1515 says in terms of what is obstruction of justice. So if you if you look at the definition of, of what is obstruction of justice, I've already given you one. There, there are others in the law as well, which relate specifically to the Comey fire, firing. The U.S. law forbids uh, retaliating or taking any harmful actions, quote, including interference with the lawful employment or livelihood, end quote, against any person uh, for providing truthful information uh, regarding a potential federal offense. Um, and that's under 18 U.S.C. 1513, uh, Section E. So Mr. Comey had testified that there was investigation into collusions there. Uh, he testified to the House Intelligence Committee that the FBI was investigating connections between the Trump administration and Russia. Um, and now he's due to testify again. Uh, this all suggests that these parts of U.S. code are actually implicated. So it, it's not my definition. It's also illegal to intimidate or threaten others to, quote, influence, delay, or prevent the testimony of any person in an official proceeding, end quote. That's 18 U.S.C. 1512. Again, not my definition. It's the legal definition. And at the time he was fired, Director Comey was due to testify to Congress. Um, so it, it's actually, according to the law, these are illegal acts if done by somebody uh, in a position of power, which the president is over or was over Director Comey. Um, I would add to that, you know, we have seen that we have seen impeachment of presidents based in part on obstruction of justice. So uh, Nixon, one of his the first article of his impeachment actually noted that it was in violation of his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, that he had obstructed and impeded the administration of justice. Uh, President Clinton also, in Article 2 of his Articles of Impeachment, said that he had obstructed justice. So far from being beyond the reach of the law, uh, the president is very much subject to the law. This goes to the concept of rule of law, which was one of the basic principles upon which our country was founded. It's this idea that nobody is above the law, that everybody, that, that, that the law constrains uh, the exercise of ultimate power. And that applies to everybody, regardless of whether they're in the judicial branch, the legislative branch, or the executive branch. Thanks so much. Lots there, Alan. Your response. But think about if the shoe, if the shoe were on the other foot, if this were Hillary Clinton to the president, and she were being investigated, and her husband Bill Clinton were being investigated because he approached the attorney general on the tarmac of the plane, everybody except me would be on the other side. And I don't want to claim personal uh, virtue, but I'm talking about me in the collective sense of civil libertarians. The vast majority of Democrats would be making my argument today saying, what a horrible abuse of civil liberties. Imagine what could happen if the laws, which Laura correctly cites and quotes, were expanded to apply to this conduct. The Republicans who are now defending um, um, President Trump would be screaming for the head of Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. Uh, and what I worry about is when you have broad, horrible, horrible statutes like the obstruction of justice statute, or the other ones that she read that are accordion-like in their elasticity, 
They can be used by Democrats to attack Republicans, Republicans to attack Democrats. The temptation is there to criminalize policy differences, and the uh, obstruction of justice and these other statutes lie around like loaded weapons. I, I'm reminded of what Lavrenti Beria said to Joseph Stalin, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. Uh, that's what Laura is doing. She wants to see uh, President Trump impeached or prosecuted, and she's doing a very lawyer-like job of going through, combing through the statutes and finding statutes that could nominally, technically, possibly apply if you stretch them a little bit and you construe the facts this way or that way. I'm arguing that's a terrible policy, and it's short-sighted, and it gives short shrift to constitutional and other legal protections. And as a civil libertarian, I'm going to continue make this argument, whether it's Hillary Clinton who's being attacked or whether it's Donald Trump who's being attacked. And I would suggest that other civil libertarians and people who really, really think about long-term interests in the rule of law ought to be looking at this from a long-term perspective, not from the short-term goal of getting rid of Donald Trump. This is fascinating. Laura, let me ask you, Alan is arguing that these laws should not be stretched in this situation. If you were just descriptively going to imagine what Robert Mueller may report, do you believe that given the existing laws and case law, he is likely to find obstruction of justice or not? So, again, I don't think we can come to a conclusion until that actually plays out in court. So these aren't and that's what I wrote about is I said, look, this is a much harder question because it's going to take pulling out these records. It's going to take going through the tapes. It's going to take actually looking in detail at this to see if they're, uh, if, if this claim can be upheld or not. But looking from the outside, these are the constituent elements uh, of the crime, and this is how it looks so far. Uh, this is the evidence on both sides of the question that we've seen. You know, one, one thing that I'm, I'm kind of surprised about uh, from uh, Alan from your remarks is that you seem to be arguing for a unitary executive with greater and greater control, with little heed for the politicization uh, that that would that that would hold. So if you look at these, you know, the case law on this again, the jewels of the Princess of Orange is a, is a good one that comes to mind. When the president directed the non-prosecution in order to be able to return stolen jewels. Um, to the Princess of Orange, right, to her family, uh, the court rested its decision in part on the diplomatic and international and foreign affairs powers of the presidency and the need to give the president leeway in that regard. Uh, in this situation, you know, if, if that's what you want, to give the president full leeway, that would that would introduce more politicization. And, and as you note, since Watergate, there's been a real effort to separate the president from the prosecutorial decisions because this will relate, relate uh, sorry, it will um, end, uh, result in fewer political witch hunts of this sort, that actually you want some separation there. And if you do that and you look at the law, the way the law is written and the way the law can be applied, and if you value rule of law and you have a situation where you know, the executive, the highest levels of the executive are under investigation for potential uh, collusion and involvement with a foreign country, uh, that this gets at kind of some of the basic national security concerns of the country, that you would turn that and you would politicize that and allow that to be politically directed precisely from those individuals who may have been compromised. Um, I find that really surprising and actually much more political than looking at the laws it's actually written. Well, I would I would much prefer to to see your approach accepted. I'd like to see us either amend the Constitution or even perhaps if we could do it by statute, uh, create a separate uh, division of public prosecution that's outside of the Justice Department. But that's not 
the law today, and that's not the approach today. And under the principles of lenity uh, in criminal law, uh, when you have doubts, you always resolve them in favor of the defendant, not in favor of the prosecution. When you have exposed facto applications of the law, you apply those in favor of the defendant. So I don't want to see us making policy decisions, with, which I agree with you about, Laura. I'd like to see it change. I'd love to see a strict separation between the president and prosecution. I'd like to see a strict separation between the attorney general, who's a political appointee, uh, and a prosecution. I'd like to see prosecution decided by professional prosecutors who don't or are not answerable to political figures. But as long as that's not the law, you can't suddenly try to expand existing uh, obstruction of justice and tampering with witnesses and uh, other kinds of vague statutes and apply them criminally to conduct that's already occurred. Let's agree, Laura, that we'll both work together to try to change the law. Uh, take another example you gave, collaborating with a foreign country to affect an election. That's just not criminal. Let's assume, worst-case scenario, Donald Trump personally calls Putin and says, in exchange for you helping me win the election, I promise I will drop sanctions. In fact, I'll send you a letter to that effect. And there's no doubt about that. It's just not a crime as long as the president hasn't asked Putin to do anything unlawful or illegal. If he says, in exchange for you helping me win the election by giving me everything that Wiki has already gotten, I'll promise you not to have sanctions. That's not a crime. Uh, that may violate the Logan Act, but I think we all agree the Logan Act is no longer law. It's subject to what's called desuetude. When you have a statute on the book for 210 years and it's never been used, you can't just resurrect it, use it against Donald Trump, and then put it back in its crypt and let it rest in peace. So I think we have a fundamental policy difference between us, Laura, and that is the goal, the function of criminal law. I think the function of criminal law is to apply only to conduct that is clearly, unambiguously criminal at the time it occurs, not to use the criminal law to try to affect policy benefits for the future. Laura, a response to those last points, and then we'll move to executive privilege and wrap up. Okay, so where I would disagree um, uh, with that is, uh, first of all, if you have somebody who's a foreign power or an agent of a foreign power, like Flynn, for instance, in the United States, and he does not register as being a, a foreign power, an agent of a foreign power uh, in the United States, uh, that's illegal. So if you're asking your campaign people to actually uh, act on behalf of foreign powers and they're not registering, uh, that, that is a criminal act in the United States. Uh, Beyond that, the Electronic Communication so. Privacy Act, the Wiretap Act, the Stored Communications Act, uh, it is illegal to break into computer systems and to collect emails. Uh, that's a crime in the United States. And if these are the types of issues that are underway in an investigation, and the president just wants that investigation to go away because the president has um, has some top people in his administration that might be implicated in that, and we don't know, you know how high that investigation goes. And there are criminal activities that may be underway. To then obstruct that investigation is also a violation of the law, regardless of whether somebody uh, is the president or the attorney general or the deputy attorney general to try to interfere well, in that investigation. Um, on your comment uh, on independent counsel, like, independent right? counsel, that's what we had with the Ethics and Government Act, which, as you know, was introduced after the Saturday Night Massacre when Nixon ordered a prosecutor to be fired, right? right? Um, 
Now, the question was, was whether this was constitutional. That was settled in Morrison versus Olson. Uh, the problem was that they were unanswerable, plus they became extremely expensive, right? So currently, our special counsel that's appointed is under the Code of Federal Regulations at 600 that the, that the attorney general will appoint a special counsel when you have an criminal investigation that's warranted. And that means you have to have specific and credible information alleging these cert that certain high-level officials in an administration have committed a serious federal offense. Um, or the Department of Justice has a conflict of interest, um, and it's in the public interest. And, you know, that decision is, is not reviewable. That, that has to be a lawyer from outside the government with a reputation for integrity. They have to have the appropriate experience, et cetera. Their decisions will be um, supported by informed understanding of criminal law, DOJ policies, et cetera. Uh, that's pretty much the position that we currently have. And in those investigations, and, and by the way, the courts have found that an FBI preliminary investigation is sufficient. We have grand jury subpoenas that had been issued. That counts as, a, as an investigation, as administrative procedure underway. So any interference in those investigations amounts to an obstruction of justice. Well, but you, when you apply that, you say any interference, uh, and you haven't answered my question. I try my best to interfere with ongoing investigations as long as I do it lawfully. Uh, I try in every possible way to stifle investigations that are ongoing. Uh, and you're not distinguishing between presidents and ordinary criminal lawyers and ordinary defendants. And to go to your issue about collaboration with other governments, Ronald Reagan would be in jail, your, would have been sent to jail under your principles. We know that the Reagan administration had police uh, with a country which we had no relationships with, and that is Iran, an enemy country. And the purpose was to delay the release of American hostages, to keep them in prison, to deny them their rights for a number of weeks or months until Reagan got into office so that he could take credit for the release of the hostages rather than Jimmy Carter getting credit. Uh, there are many, many other instances. The idea of uh, saying that a president or a campaign has to register as a foreign agent when they're trying to negotiate with a foreign country during their transition would be blatantly unconstitutional uh, and interfere with the power of the president. And what you're doing is you're introducing a lot of modern rules that are desirable rules that have been established from a constitutional point of view, however. We still do have the division of authority between the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary, and the courts may not uh, interfere with the operation of the executive branch of the government uh, which, which, which deems itself today uh, to be a unitary executive. And uh, I wish we could change that, but we haven't changed it. And I think the dangers of adopting your approach, uh, if you put the shoe on the other foot, and if you give the Republicans that power over a Democrat who is elected and who has some problems like Hillary Clinton would have, particularly uh, with her husband's uh, uh, meeting uh, at the... Um, uh, on the airplane, uh, I, I have to ask you the question directly, Laura. Would you in this enterprise if the Hillary Clinton, who were being prosecuted and the Republicans were trying to put her in jail, would you be coming through every statute trying to find some hook on which to hang the prosecution? Would, would you be doing that? I don't think you have to comb through every statute. It's, it's pretty clear statute. It, it, any interference with the orderly administration of law and justice, that's how Black's Law Dictionary understands obstruction of justice. And as a statutory matter, it, it's corruptly or by threats of force 
or by any threatening letter of communication to influence, obstruct, or impede the administration of law under which any pending proceeding is being conducted by a federal department, agency, or Congress. That's 18 U.S.C. 1505. So this, this isn't combing through the law. This is this is a pretty this is a pretty clear example where you have statutory language, and that's the statute, and it looks like there might be a problem there in terms of what has happened. So should an investigation that has been underway, which has issued subpoenas in grand jury investigation, you have you know, a president who has articulated all of these concerns to others. On the other hand, as, I, as I've noted before, you have a letter that says, no, the firing is based in this other concern that was raised. And, you know, that all is relevant and certainly probative. But to say that that statute doesn't exist, you know, Alan, it, it sounds like your concern is with the statute, in which case you change the law, but you don't say you just decide which laws we're going to apply and which laws we're not going to apply. So you shouldn't decide, oh, we're going to apply law A, but we're not going to apply law B, and we're not going to apply law C, but we like law D, and so we're going to apply law D. Like, either you apply the law or you don't apply the law, and in a country that's that's under rule of law, you have a concept that nobody is themselves above the law. And if that is a basic principle of the society, then you don't pick and choose when you apply that law or not. Um, but, but I want to get to this other issue, I'm going to jump in as, as great We the People moderator. This is a riveting debate, and I've really educated our listeners. I think we don't have time for executive privilege. We're going to have to try to get you both back because it's so incredibly illuminating. But in the spirit of We the People, we, we always have uh, great closing arguments. And I'm going to ask uh, Alan and then Laura to tell us why you believe or not that uh, the firing of Comey qualifies as obstruction of justice. Alan, uh, first closing argument to you. Well, I'm going to use my moment to again reiterate my direct question. Would Laura be on this show? Would she be advocating what she's advocating if the shoe were on the other foot, if it were Hillary Clinton who were being prosecuted and her husband's actions in going to the tarmac of the airplane and speaking to the attorney general? Every one of the arguments that she'd made would be applicable to uh, Bill Clinton. And uh, unless she's prepared to unequivocally state that she would be making exactly the same arguments and she would be on the show seeking the prosecution of Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, I think we have to concede the dangers of this kind of argument being used selectively against a political opponent. I acknowledge that there are words in statutes that could be stretched to cover this conduct, but they could be stretched to cover much, much more conduct that we all believe is constitutionally protected. So I want to take a big-picture view, and I want to talk about the dangers of expanding these existing statutes, which are already too vague. From a civil liberties point of view, I can imagine no worse statute than the obstruction of justice statute or the tampering with witnesses statute. And then to expand it and stretch it to apply to conduct that we find politically disagreeable I think, puts America and all Americans at great risk. Today, it's Donald Trump. Tomorrow, it could be you. Tomorrow, it could be a Democrat. And so I think we have to think seriously about whether we want to stretch and expand the criminal law to cover conduct we find disagreeable. I don't, as a civil libertarian. Thank you so much for that, Alan Dershowitz. Laura Donahue, last word to you. Oh, thank you. Um, so uh, the, 
the definition of the rule of law is subjecting arbitrary power to the constraints of the law. Uh, that's a basic principle that we have in society, and it, it doesn't matter who is in the White House, whether it's Hillary Clinton, uh, whether it's uh, Donald Trump, whether it's Eisenhower, whether it's Nixon, whether it's uh, Ford, whether it's Carter, like whoever's in the White House, that individual has to be subject to the rule of law. And what is dangerous is making exceptions to that. Uh, that is the primary, the, the principal animating value behind our system. It's something that the founding generation intimately understood. Uh, it's something that each generation must, again, confront uh, and decide to renew or not. Uh, in this circumstance, I don't think it's clear whether we have obstruction of justice or not, as I wrote. Uh, certainly the first few elements are met. Whether the last one is is a more difficult question, uh, but one that has very sobering implications for our system and how we think about rule of law. You know, if you have an investigation underway where individuals have been, there have been subpoenas issued, criminal subpoenas issued for illegal activities, and those individuals are in the highest offices of government. That is precisely why throughout our history we have had special counsel. We have had independent counsel. So Ulysses S. Grant in 1875, for instance, he appointed John Henderson to look at the whiskey ring scandal, uh, which was millions of dollars in federal taxes on liquor that were siphoned off um, to this big criminal enterprise that had distillers and storekeepers, all these individuals working for them. The Secretary of the Treasury, without telling the president, broke into this politically powerful ring and ended up recovering millions of dollars, right? In 1952, we have Truman, who appointed Newbold Morris to look at the Bureau of Internal Revenue um, after Congress had said, look, we need a special prosecutor. We have uh, the Attorney General, Elliot Richardson, who appointed Archibald Cox as the special pro prosecutor against Nixon. And in Nixon versus the United States, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, we have the executive branch does not have uh, an indefinite, unqualified immunity from producing documents. There is no executive privilege that goes to everything in the executive branch because of this basic concept of rule of law. And so in this case, we have a criminal, a criminal case which is building against individuals in the highest levels of government. Um, if the intent behind dismissing Director Comey as legal, and, and I would say that that action was entirely legal, both as a statutory and a constitutional matter, although some people take issue with that. They say that he, you know, Director Comey was in the third year of a five-year term. He can only be dismissed um, for cause, and there wasn't sufficient cause. Um, you know, even if that action is legal, legal actions do, cannot then be used to undermine justice. This goes to the basic and animating values of this country as one grounded in the rule of law. Thank you so much, Laura Donahue and Alan Dershowitz, for a really riveting, illuminating, and substantive discussion. If we're lucky, we'll be able to get you back on the We the People podcast to discuss this unfolding constitutional drama as it emerges. But for now, I want to say, Laura, Alan, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Today's show was engineered by Jason Gregory and produced by Scott Bomboy and Lana Ulrich. Research was provided by Lana and the great Tom Donnelly. Continue today's conversation on Facebook and Twitter using at ConstitutionCDR. Sign up to receive Constitution Weekly, our email roundup of constitutional news and debate. If you haven't gotten it yet, please do. It's great. And you can find it at bit.ly forward slash Constitution Weekly. And finally, despite our congressional charter, the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. The only way that we can do these thrilling, really substantive, breaking news constitutional discussions 
is through the generosity of, and support of people around the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional education and debate. That mission, ladies and gentlemen, is now more urgent than ever. So please consider becoming a member to support our work, including this podcast. Visit constitutioncenter.org to learn more. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.